I'm excited to, to be here this morning to share what the Lord's placed on my heart. Um, it's interesting, the way the, the Lord works is that oftentimes, and we've seen it here before, that we see the Lord bring messages to Todd and to different people at the same time or the same season of our church. And as I was preparing to teach and as I listened over the last few weeks as Jason taught and Mark taught and Todd taught, what I recognized is that the message that he placed on my heart is no different than any of the ones that you've already heard. And so perhaps he's going to couch it in a little bit different way, but the message is going to be the same. And what I want you to hear is the truth of what he has to say in his word. And I pray that that's our time together. Basically, he led Todd and Jason and I to teach really similar services. If you remember Todd's sermon last week, he talked about growing in godliness. He talked about Luke 2, 41 to 52, and discussed how Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom and stature, favor with God and favor with men. And he mentioned that spiritual wisdom combined with physical discipline, leads to a life of integrity which brings support to God's message. And I was encouraged by Todd's message and amazed, never surprised though, at the way that the Spirit works to tie truth together. A few weeks ago, Jason called us to action, being a good neighbor in service to the Lord and in service to each other. Both of these messages line up perfectly with what I felt led to share with you today. But before we get started, let's commit our time to the Lord. Pray with me, if you will. Father, what a blessing it is to be here together in our family, in a place that you've called us to worship. I thank you for the music. I thank you for the opportunity to give. And I thank you for the people that are here that love one another and by your Spirit use their gifts to serve. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you above all things, would speak today, not me, Lord, but you, and I pray that you would bring this message across in the way that you would have it be delivered. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, and Lord, we look forward to committing to you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So last week, Todd started with a story or an introduction talking a little bit about New Year's resolutions, and I thought for a minute that perhaps he had taken a look at the introduction that I was planning to use But in fact, he told me that he didn't. Um, So has anybody ever made a New Year's resolution before? I'm sure we've all made them. Um, Did you make any this year? Have you broken them already? The reality is that these resolutions that we make are those things that we resolve to do differently or to start over. Maybe it's something that we resolve to start doing or stop doing. These are those things that we commit to or commit to change. And something about the new year seems to give us hope for a clean start. I'm not sure what it is because January 1st is another day just like December 31st. But for whatever reason, January 1st seems to be a clean start for us. And our culture, I think, has contributed to that. And if you look at other cultures around the world, you see the same thing. There's a lot of emphasis placed on the new year and a new start and a clean slate. So what are these resolutions? Some of them that we might have made include losing weight or getting in shape, being a better husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, or employee. Maybe it's to spend more time with family, read the Bible in a year, live a better life, 
I want you to hear me. None of these things are inherently bad. These are all good goals to have. They're all good things to do. And maybe sometimes it helps us to say those words out loud. Maybe it helps us to share it with somebody else, a friend of, hey, I'm going to resolve to do this this year. Maybe that helps us be accountable. Some of us have gone so far as to quit making New Year's resolutions because we're tired of failing. Anybody with me on that one? We make them, we say them, we tell somebody, and then we fail. In most cases, we make resolutions because we want a different outcome. We want something different. Perhaps I want the benefits of exercise, but I'm not committed to go through the pain of exercise or maybe the time it takes to exercise. And I can justify it with all of my noble excuses, but in the end, I simply haven't made it a priority recently. I had to wear my non-skinny pants today. So what is it, why is it that we fail to carry through with the things that we resolve to do? In general, I think it's because we aren't committed. But shouldn't our level of commitment Shouldn't our level of commitment be dependent upon the value that we place? The value we place on the object of our commitment? Shouldn't our level of commitment be dependent upon the value we place on the object of our commitment? Health's important. My spouse is important. My kids are important. My relationship with the Lord is important. So New Year's resolutions aren't bad. And our commitment is something that's important to us. And today what I want to talk about is commitment. And I'll explain it just a bit in a second. Let's talk about with definitions for a second. What is commitment? Webster says that commitment is a noun. It's defined as a promise to do or give something. A promise to be loyal to someone or something. The attitude of someone who works very hard to support to do or support something. Synonyms for commitment include words like faith, faithfulness, devotion, or dedication. I like devotion. That's a good one. We see that one in Scripture. Devotion is a feeling of strong love or loyalty, the quality of being devoted. It's also the use of time, money, energy, etc., for a particular purpose. So notice that these definitions includes word, include words like promise or feeling. These are things we feel or we say. However, the other definitions include words like attitude, works hard, use of resources for a purpose. These things indicate action. And much like Jason talked to us about as he talked about the Good Samaritan and the question of why certain groups didn't act to help, I believe that the words commitment and devotion in large measure call us to action. You see, it's one thing for someone to desire to change. It's something altogether different for someone to commit through patterns of consistent action to change, especially when we don't see results right away. Perhaps we might be more successful if we focused on what the Lord desired. James 4 13 through 17 says, 
Shouldn't we say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that instead of what we, we desire? Shouldn't we be committed to the will of the Lord? So let's talk about what Scripture says related to commitment to the Lord. Now, I'm going to cover quite a bit of different Scriptures today. Um, and so I'm going to do my best to try to give you time to turn there. Some of them I'm going to ask you to turn, and others I'm going to just read for you. But if you'll turn to Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Psalm 37, 3 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Verse 5 of that says to commit your way to the Lord. I believe that's what he's called us to in Scripture, is our commitment to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Flip over to 2 Corinthians 11.3. You wanted some exercise, right? Well, we're going to exercise our fingers today. 2 Corinthians 11.3. Second Corinthians 11.3 says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Paul warns the Corinthians here not to be deceived from the purity of devotion to Christ by the false teachers. You see, there's many things in life that can draw us away from the devotion we profess in Christ. And some of those things are good things, but they're not designed and they shouldn't pull us away from the truth and our purity of devotion that we have in Christ. We're encouraged by Paul in this passage to remain in the purity of devotion to Christ. He should be our greatest love. We should be devoted to one another and to no one or nothing before him. 1 Corinthians is a verse that I like, uh, 7.35, 1 Corinthians 7.35. says, This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, this particular passage is used, uh, Paul's using this to talk about marriage, and he's talking about the relation of Christian service and marriage. And he says, even in some cases, our marriage can pull us away from our devotion that we, have, uh, that we should have toward the Lord. Now, please hear me. He's not saying that marriage is a bad thing. In fact, it's a great thing. It was created by God for our benefit, I believe, to grow us into who he desires us to be. But even good things can, can distract us from our devotion to the Lord. And here Paul is encouraging us to remain or to secure our undistracted devotion to the Lord. So with all of this talk of devotion and commitment, how do we know and how do others know what we're truly committed to? Well, I think we can look at at least three or four things, some outward signs, if you will, of things that we might be committed to. Our words, or sorry, outward signs, words, time, money and actions are some things that come to mind. Outward signs, let's talk about those briefly. It could be rings, 
It could be cross necklaces. It could be bumper stickers. It could be fish on our car. It could be bracelets, WWJD bracelets. Okay, those are all good. They're outward signs that suggest that we're committed to something, right? This ring on my hand says that I'm committed to that woman. This ring on my hand says that I'm committed to the Lord, right? That's what they're there for. Okay? A cross necklace around my neck would mean the same thing. A bumper sticker on my car or a fish on my car would indicate the same thing. Those are outward signs that we choose to profess that we believe or we're devoted to something. In this case, the Lord. We might also look at words. The passion that I speak on a certain topic might indicate that I'm committed or devoted to something or someone. The more uh, passionately that I speak about something might indicate to someone else that there's no reason to argue because I'm so passionate about this certain issue. And the way that we speak about things gives our, produces our arguments and professions of declaration. The more aggressively, and I say that in a positive light, the more passionately that I speak about something is another way I can indicate my devotion to it, isn't it? Well, outward signs and words come together in social media. And quite frankly, I'm not a very big fan of social media. Um, I don't have a Facebook account. I don't have an Instagram account. And my kids think I'm in the dark ages, but... Um, we can post things on Instagram that say something about our, what we believe or what we're devoted to. But we can also use our words on Instagram or Facebook to tell people how we're feeling. We can be sad or mad or angry or frustrated. And a lot of times the people that we're frustrated with are friends on Facebook and we're saying it to them so that they read it and maybe they'll fix it. Well, why don't we just go to them and deal with it? That's another story. Time and money. Time and money are excellent indicators of where our heart is and where our commitments lie. You don't need to turn there, but Matthew 6, 20-21 says, But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where I spend my time and money tells more about my priorities than almost anything that I say. Where I spend my time and money tells more about my priorities than almost anything that I could say. Now, before you start quoting 1 Timothy 5.8, I'm with you. Okay? Scripture's clear that we have to support our families and we have to work. I get it. But where's the rest of our time go? Are we showing our devotion to the Lord and what He's called us to in love based on where we spend our time? And finally, actions. Quite simply, actions tell our heart. What we do shows our commitment. And if led by the Holy Spirit, then our actions should be consistent with the fruit of the Spirit. What I do tells my wife a lot more about my heart than what I say. Would you agree with me? Now don't get me wrong. She loves, me to, she loves to hear me say I love you, and I tell her many times a day. But I believe that what she and what she feels for me by my actions tells her how much I love her a lot more than what I say to her. So considering these things, 
what does it look like to be committed to the Lord? Commitment to the Lord includes several different things, and I want to focus on actions, but I also want to be clear right at the beginning that I have no intention of developing for you a checklist for you to follow. Okay? I'm not interested in developing a checklist to follow. However, I believe that Scripture calls those who are committed and devoted to the Lord to the following things. Okay? Commitment to the Lord, and here are the three things we're going to talk about. Commitment to the Lord includes, number one, commitment to His Word. Number two, commitment to prayer. And number three, commitment to His body. Now, Todd taught last week that the goal was to grow in godliness. And if we are going to grow in godliness, we must commit to His Word, to prayer, and to His body. Now, at the end of each section, I'm going to give you a challenge. So, be ready for it. So let's start. Commitment to the Lord requires commitment to His Word. So what do we know about God's Word? And why should we commit to it? Um, I'm going to list off several different passages, and if you'd like to write them down, I'd like you to do that now. But then I want you to sit back and listen to what I'm going to read to you. Because I want you to hear them in sequence so that you can see the progression of things that uh, He's placed on my heart. So, the first one is 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. The next one is John 17.17. John 17.17. John 8.32. 8.32. Matthew 4.4. Matthew 4.4. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. And Colossians 3, 16. So what I want to do is I want to use these passages in sequence to give us some idea about God's Word. So God's Word is God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. God's Word is God's Word. There's nothing more and nothing less. It is His Word. This book has everything we need to know. He's given it all to us. He's also told us that God's Word is truth, and we can't live without it. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus talking. He's actually pleading with God. He's um, going before on our behalf as an intermediary, praying to the Lord that He give us His word, that He give us His truth. John 8, 32 says that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Here there's a dedication where a dedication to the Word is followed by a promise. If we know the truth, the truth will set us free. God's Word is God's Word. God's Word is truth, and the truth will make us free. Matthew 4.4 4 also says that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's truth, and we can't live without it. God's Word helps us stay pure, and we should treasure it. 
without reading the entire Psalm 119, 9 through 16, it asks a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. I have treasured your word in my heart. Teach me your statutes. Do you hear the heart of this psalmist? Teach me your statutes. I have treasured your word in my heart. And God's word should dwell within us. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly dwell, in this case, means to take up residence. So does the word of the Lord dwell within you? Has it taken up residence in your heart? Does it guide and direct you? So, collectively, these passages express the deepness and the richness of God's Word in a way that indicates the importance of our reliance on His Word and His truth. At Melanie Park Church, we're committed to His Word, and we're attempting to raise up the next generation committed to the truth of His Word. Now, as a plug, if I may... Let me encourage you to attend the Foundations of Faith that starts tonight. Here we're going to start at 5.30 Sundays for the next 14 weeks to talk about the truth of God's Word. Let's do that together. We make every effort to teach the truth in order for people to live in Christ. That's our tagline, Truth Producing Life. The truth of this book, Producing Life in Our Lives. So here's your challenge. Will you join us and commit wholeheartedly to the truth of His Word this year? Maybe for a lifetime? Will you commit to studying and learning as if your very being depended upon it? Let's commit together to dive into His Word. So we've discussed that commitment to the Lord includes commitment to God's Word, but it also includes commitment to prayer. We're going to spend some time in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. It says, Then they returned, from, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, that is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Now let's think about what's happening in this portion of Acts, Luke records the, 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 the um, things that happened after Christ's death. And so if you remember, Christ has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's re- revealed himself to the disciples. And he's commissioned them to take the word to Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. right? And then he leaves them. And what do they do? They go back to the room. 
And what do they do? They pray. They devote themselves collectively to prayer. What else would they do? And so that devotion to prayer is going to guide them as they carry out this mission that the Lord has just commissioned them to. Now from here, the Holy Spirit's given in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches a message, and around 3,000 people are added or saved that day. Effectively, the church is formed. If you flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 42... It says, they, who's they? They are the brethren. They are the members of the church. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So in the first one we see the disciples praying continually devoting themselves to prayer. But this time, we see the brethren. Now the church is forming, it's beginning to function, but problems arise. Things come up, and the apostles deal with the issue, but remain committed to God's word and to prayer. You flip over a few pages, Acts 6, verse 4. Acts 6, verse 4 says, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Who's we? Well, we, in this case, is the apostles. Okay, the situation is the church is moving along, but suddenly there's a group of people that aren't being cared for like the rest. The Hellenistic Jews, the widows of the Hellenistic Jews were not being cared for. And so they bring the issue to the apostles. And the apostles end up going to the Lord and Essentially, they say this is important. Let's establish a group of people to help deal with these particular needs. But we, the apostles, elders, if you will, are committed to pray. And at Melanie Park Church, as serving on the elder team, I would tell you that your elders are committed to praying. We pray when we meet, we pray at home. We have asked you to join us in prayer with elder prayer time. And so from these verses, we see an example of devotion to prayer. But why and how should we pray? And what outcome does prayer have? You don't have to look these up, but I'm going to read them to you. 1 Corinthians 7.5 says, Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Stop depriving one another, except to devote yourself to prayer. Now, I've counseled with couples before, and the men like this passage. Stop depriving. The women like the passage, too. Let's pray. Okay? Now, this one is a little bit uh, out of context, but let's look at the purpose. The purpose is, is to establish why is it important that we pray. What does he say there? He says, because it will protect you from the temptation of Satan, right? Why are we devoted to prayer? We're devoted because he's protecting us. It's our method to be protected from Satan. And why do we need that protection? Because we lack self-control. Colossians 4, 2 through 4 says, 
devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. That's just verse 2, but devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. This tells us how we should pray. We should pray with a thankful heart. Think of what the Lord has done for us. Any of us that have called upon the name of the Lord, who have accepted His gift of grace and mercy, and accepted the gift of salvation through His death and resurrection, He's he's given that to us through His grace and mercy. And out of that attitude of thanksgiving, we're called to pray. Another one, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, Men in every place should pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. We should pray with a clear conscience and a clear heart. We pray with thanksgiving. We pray with a clear conscience. Psalm 145 gives us the promise. 145.18, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He's promised us that if we call upon His name, He will be near to us. Todd's mentioned before that the purpose of prayer is not to align God's will to ours, but to align ours with His. The purpose of prayer isn't to align God's will to what we want. It should be, over time, to align our will with His. Now at Melanie Park, we're committed to prayer, and we're attempting to raise up the next generation who's also committed to prayer. Here's the plug. Let me encourage you, to attend the elder prayer time, February 10th. It's coming up. If you can't make that, the men's prayer time is on Tuesday mornings at 6 o'clock. Jim, I know you'd like more people to come, wouldn't you? So if you're interested, 6 o'clock, down the hall, right? Tuesdays. You get a prayer letter, right? If you don't, then let us know and we can send it to you. But this is a time for our church body to say, here are the things we need prayer for. Take those to the Lord in prayer. While I don't know for certain, I'm, I am certain that there is a group of women that pray. In fact, there's probably a ton of them. And so if you're a lady and you can't go to the men's prayer time, I guarantee you there's somebody that wants to pray with you. We make every effort to lift up the local body at Melanie Park Church in prayer, another portion of truth-producing life. So here's your challenge. Will you commit... And join us wholeheartedly to pray this year? Will you commit to spending time with the Lord as if your very being depended upon it? Let's commit together to pray for Melanie Park and the church as a whole. All right, we've covered commitment to God's Word and commitment to prayer. Now let's talk about commitment to the body. As we see the church forming, we see that they were committed to one another. If you flip back a few pages, back to Acts 2.42, what did we see? We saw they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Fellowship is in there. They were devoting themselves to one another. Now, interestingly, notice that this particular reference includes all three of the things we're supposed to be committed to, right? They were committed to the apostles' teaching, or the word. They were committed to fellowship, and they were committed to prayer. Maybe I should have just spent the whole time teaching on that passage. 
Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 10 through 13. Romans chapter 12, 10 through 13 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, and practicing hospitality. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Love is the way that we show our devotion. 1 John 3, 18-19 says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before Him. You see, we're called to serve one another in deed. One of those things... One of those things that we can do to serve one another is to pray. And Jesus wants us to love and show it, not just say it. So, all right, is this just for the local body or is this for the church at large? I'm kind of confused. Yes. Okay, it's, is it for Melanie Park Church, this local body? Yes. Is it for the church around the world? Yes. Now, if you continue to look in Romans and go back to chapter, or sorry, to verse four, we see a little bit. We see a little bit of the bigger picture, and without reading the entire thing, let me just tell you a little bit of paraphrase of what it talks about. If we go back and expand it to uh, verse 4 all the way through 13, it tells us that we are one body. It tells us that we each have different gifts. It tells us that we're called to love, showing devotion to one another, praying for one another, and serving one another. Now at Melanie Park, we are committed to his body and we're attempting to raise up the next generation to be committed to his body. And as a plug, you saw it coming, right? As a plug, let me encourage you to find a place to serve this body within Melanie Park Church. There's plenty to do, and we could use your help. We make every effort to urge fellowship and love within the local body at Melanie Park Church, truth-producing life, his word, producing life in the people of his body. So will you join us and commit wholeheartedly to his body this year? Will you commit to spending time with each other, praying for and loving each other as the Lord has loved you? Let's commit together to serve his body. Now I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. I want to make sure that we're not creating a checklist of things to do, but instead an attitude of devotion to the King. As a method of assessment, our time, money, goals, efforts, and focus indicate the passion of our heart, and it's important for us to realize that the Holy Spirit empowers us, giving us, gifting us for the good of the collective body. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12, 
7 to 11, where he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not for an individual's good, but for the common good. It also says in verse 11, But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. The Spirit has given you your gifts, but he's given them to you for the purpose of the body. So as we've said, we show our commitment to the Lord through commitment to his word, commitment to prayer, and commitment to his body. Now, as the Lord often does, he has a sense of humor. And uh, if, while I'm telling this story, if you'll turn to Colossians 3, 12 to 17. As I was wrapping things up, I had seen several passages that came out of Colossians, and I began reading, uh, I read the entire chapter, and I thought, hmm, I guess I should have just taught on Colossians, because it's all here. So let me read this, and I want you to listen, close your eyes, read along with me, whatever works. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and then I'm going to jump over to 4, verse 2. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Skip over to 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time, for us as well, that, God's, that, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. And then if we look back at Acts 2.42, we've covered it a couple of times, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, some of you astute listeners out there are wondering, Gilbert, what's the problem? You haven't included worship. Where did worship go? Well, in part, I didn't include worship because you can only have three points in a sermon. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I think it goes a little deeper. Worship is our outward reflection or the resultant action of our commitment to the Lord, isn't it? We worship by how we live. We worship by how we live our life and how we love one another. You know this verse, but Romans 12:1 says, "Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to be present to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. What this is saying is that our life is our worship. Melanie Park, I want you to hear me on this. Our lives are our worship to Him. To Him who? To Him who saved us. Saved us from what? From death. Singing praise songs is part of it. Giving is part of it. Taking communion is part of it. But what the Lord wants is your heart. He doesn't care about our checklists. He doesn't care about our shallow professions of devotion. He cares about the deepest part of our heart where we take time to be the friend that He's called us to be to our brother or sister. He cares about our heart toward our spouse. He cares about our heart toward our kids. We're to keep those kids under control, but not just control. He tells us how to do it. He's more concerned with how we do it than the outcome. How are we supposed to do it? With all dignity. Not out of fear. Our worship is the result of our devotion to the Lord and evidenced in how we live our lives. So how do I know how I'm doing? Well, I believe that our devotion should be evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. You know this verse, but Galatians 5, 22-23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now note with me that these are not plural. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit. The way I look at that is that if you... The fruit of the Spirit... If you have the Spirit, that's the fruit. We don't get to pick the fruit we want to do. Okay? Six out of nine is not going to cut it. I can look at that list and say, well, I'm doing okay. Until I get impatient with my children. Until I forget to live in the joy of who I am in Christ. Until I'm lose my ability to be gentle with my wife. So before we resolve to commit to His Word, to prayer and to His body on our own power, let's realize that in our flesh we are powerless. God, God draws us to Himself and He gave us His Spirit as a helper so that He would guide us. John 14. Our part is to trust the Spirit and walk through the good works prepared beforehand. But how do we know what the Spirit is saying? Well, I believe that commitment to time in His Word, time in prayer, and time with His body will help us understand what the Spirit is committing us to. We are sanctified by Christ and we are being sanctified, sanctified as we grow in spiritual maturity. But most importantly, we need to seek God through His Word. We need to trust the Spirit through prayer. And we need to love one another, His people. Can we commit together to do these things? His truth will produce life if we do. You know, God considers our New Year's equivalent as our point of salvation. 
We received a new start at the time when we put our faith and trust in Christ's death and resurrection for the payment of our sins. And from that point on, we are, or should be, maturing in Christ. Can we commit to the Lord together? Can we commit our lives to Him? After all, He committed His to us. Pray with me. Father, what a blessing it is to stand before You as a people who You've called with a mission. Lord, how amazing is it to recognize that You've called us to be committed to You, but You've also told us how to do it. Lord, we desire to be committed to You. And we desire to be committed to Your Word. We desire to be committed to prayer. And we desire to be committed to Your body. And Lord, we trust that by Your Spirit that You will grant us that ability. Lord, I thank You for this body of believers. What a blessing they have been and are to Sherry and I and our family. I thank You for the friendships that we have here. I thank you for your protection. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You're dismissed.